It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm Chloe. I'm an engineer, former lab research scientist, now author. If you are a returning listener and you like the podcast, definitely check out my Instagram at Synthesis of Wellness. I share my health and wellness routines, research, all of that good stuff almost every single day. And I love to present the information in bite-sized biohacks so it's easy to read quick and get as much value from it as possible. Now, before we get into today's episode, don't forget to check out my book, 75 Gut Healing Strategies and Biohacks. It's all about restoring the gut after mold exposure, Lyme disease, and more. I wrote this book because of my dedication to scientific research along with my personal journey in healing from these ailments myself. So with that said, definitely go and check out the link below in the show notes if you are interested. Okay, today we are talking about mitochondrial dysfunction as one of the major hallmarks really of chronic illness, chronic fatigue, things like chronic inflammatory response syndrome from water damage buildings or mold exposure, um, Lyme disease, candida overgrowth, so on and so forth. So we're also going to piggyback this conversation with a dive into a very unique stack that is actually much stronger than that infamous urolithin A compound for inducing mitophagy. And then we're also going to talk about a pretty intriguing peptide for mitochondrial dysfunction. Okay, so all in all, though, to set the stage for this conversation, we really need to understand what dysfunctional mitochondria really means on a large scale and on the biochemical level of things. So one last note before we start diving into the information, I do want to mention I've talked about the mitochondria several times in previous podcast episodes. So if you're looking for a more broad overview of mitochondrial health, just scroll back. There are plenty of episodes addressing different supplements, nutrients, compounds, etc. 
that can help support mitochondrial health. And a lot of those are more well-known. And we're going to talk about a few of them today as well. Things like coenzyme Q10, um, things like that. But again, new research is always coming out. So I really wanted to address these two specific things in today's episode and really dive into how they can potentially restore function to dysfunctional mitochondria. Okay, now with all that said, dysfunctional mitochondria. So the term gets thrown around a lot in my opinion, but I think examining some of the underlying factors that can cause it to arise is very important to understand what it actually means. So things like genetic mutations, environmental stressors as a result of like things like toxins, endogenous or exogenous, even simply aging, all of these can create states of mitochondrial dysfunction because quite simply we produce reactive oxygen species just as a result of metabolism. So if we zoom in a little bit, and like I just mentioned, and we get into some of the actual biochemical pathways that are involved in mitochondrial dysfunction, we get into things like problems with oxidative phosphorylation, maybe increased reactive oxygen species generation, even things like calcium homeostasis, apoptosis, or cell death. And we're not going to get too much into calcium homeostasis in this episode in particular. We're going to stick to some of the other heavier hitting topics like mitochondrial DNA and reactive oxygen species. So with that said, let's dive into some of these in some more detail. Starting with probably the most obvious source of dysfunction within the mitochondria, like I just said, this is dysfunction involving oxidative phosphorylation. So remember that oxidative phosphorylation is a metabolic pathway that uses energy released by the oxidation of nutrients to produce adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, which again, we all know is the energy currency of the cell. This process occurs within the mitochondria and involves two main components, the electron transport chain, or ETC, and then that amazing molecule at the end, ATP synthase. Now, the ETC and ATP synthase are located within the inner mitochondrial membrane. And the way the mitochondria is set up, just for reference again as a reminder, we have this little bean-shaped organelle with a folded inner membrane where all this stuff is occurring, where that ETC and ATP synthase are. And then if we move outward, we have what is called the intermembrane space. This is between the inner and outer mitochondrial membranes. And then continue moving outward, we have the outer mitochondrial membrane. So going back now to this oxidative phosphorylation process and how it can become dysfunctional, we need to put a lot of our attention on the ETC, on the electron transport chain, since that is largely responsible for oxidative phosphorylation. So remember that the electron transport chain is the series of protein complexes and its associated molecules within the inner mitochondrial membrane. All of that is involved. So it functions to transport electrons from donors, which are things like NADH and FADH2 that are generated from the Krebs cycle. And it transfers these electrons from those donors to an acceptor, which is oxygen. 
and this electron flow from those NADH and FADH2 molecules to oxygen is what drives the pumping of protons from the inside of the mitochondria, which is termed the mitochondrial matrix, into the intermembrane space. So we're going across that inner mitochondrial membrane. This ultimately is what creates that electrochemical gradient across the inner mitochondrial membrane, and that gradient is what we need to power ATP synthase and then produce ATP at the end of the electron transport chain. So with that said, let's bring dysfunction into the mix. First thing is first, genetic mutations. So mutations in the mitochondrial DNA or even the nuclear DNA, because again, remember the mitochondria actually have their own set of DNA, but either mutations in the mitochondrial DNA or nuclear DNA that encode for different oxidative phosphorylation components can severely impair the function of the electron transport chain, which leads, of course, to reduced efficiency in the electron transport and therefore reduced ATP synthesis. So for example, in a very extreme and rare case, I just want to illustrate this. So mutations in the mitochondrial DNA that affect complex one units can actually lead to something called Lay syndrome, which is characterized by severe neurological manifestations. And though this particular syndrome is extremely rare, it does have a very poor prognosis. Now, Again, like I said, that is a very unique example, but I wanted to bring it up because it really does illustrate exactly how mutation to the mitochondrial DNA that controls complex one at the very beginning of the electron transport chain can directly lead to mitochondrial dysfunction, in this case, Lay syndrome, and unfortunately, often in this case, even death. Okay, now for most of us, we do not have that specific issue. But one thing we all do is age and we all consume food and as a result of metabolizing and getting energy from that food, we produce reactive oxygen species. So this is where this comes into play. So does aging in and of itself create mitochondrial DNA mutations? Yes. Compared to nuclear DNA, mitochondrial DNA actually experiences higher rates of mutation because it is what we would call relatively unprotected. So the mitochondrial DNA repair mechanisms are far less sophisticated than that of the nuclear DNA repair mechanisms. And coupled with that is the fact that the mitochondrial DNA is literally located so close to a major source of reactive oxygen species, the mitochondrial electron transport chain we just talked about. So this can get a little confusing, but take the following for example. Someone is aging and they are accumulating mitochondrial DNA mutations as a result of just aging and their basic metabolic products. These mutations can then affect the electron transport chain function, which then decreases efficiency of oxidative phosphorylation which leads to lower ATP production and higher ROS generation. And coupled with that, that often leads to even things like cellular senescence, since the cell will have a much more difficult time meeting its energy needs with that downregulation in ATP. 
So what happens then? Well, with the higher and higher reactive oxygen species generation, even a decent level of antioxidants will not be able to keep up. So what happens then? The reactive oxygen species floating around can attack the mitochondrial DNA and almost create this loop of dysfunction. So just to kind of pull that all together and to summarize it a little bit, mutations in the mitochondrial DNA can impair the production of electron transport chain proteins or complexes, many of which are encoded by the mitochondrial DNA. It's a downstream effect. And that can lead to defective oxidative phosphorylation, decreased ATP production, and increased reactive oxygen species production. This creates a vicious loop or cycle that can further damage the mitochondrial DNA. So one more time, I will reiterate the following. As you age, as you eat poorly, as you partake in other possibly health damaging habits, higher quantities of reactive oxygen species are generated just as a byproduct of normal metabolism. These can then damage the mitochondrial DNA and that will accumulate as you age and then that can lead to dysfunctional electron transport chain since the mitochondrial DNA controls many aspects of the electron transport chain and then that can lead to dysfunctional mitochondria in and of itself. So lower ATP, think chronic fatigue, lower energy, higher reactive oxygen species, and that higher reactive oxygen species can then instigate the cycle again. It's just this vicious loop that can continue basically. So now again, with all of this said, it is important to remember that I am generalizing this loop without considering other damaging factors that can contribute to the electron transport chain dysfunction and I'm not even addressing some of those other harmful effects of things like higher reactive oxygen species generation. So what I went through is really just a depiction of how this specific cycle, when isolated in and of itself, can wreak havoc on the mitochondria. But you also might be wondering within this same conversation, which comes first, the mitochondrial DNA mutation or the reactive oxygen species generation? Well, in the context of what we're talking about, reactive oxygen species generation is quite simply inevitable. It is a byproduct of metabolism. So it's a bit like a chicken and the egg situation. The reactive oxygen species will, if not properly neutralized by antioxidants, continue to damage the mitochondrial DNA. Okay, now I think I've beaten that enough. I've hit that home. But what are some other things that we should be aware of when it comes to mitochondrial dysfunction? So we've already addressed how important oxidative phosphorylation is to mitochondrial function. And when it is thrown off, we can get higher and higher reactive oxygen species generation, therefore more mitochondrial DNA damage, which can then lead to more reactive oxygen species generation and then lower ATP, more fatigue, cell senescence, so on and so forth. But there are two other things I need to mention before moving on. These are nuclear DNA alterations. So I mentioned earlier that the nuclear DNA also affects the mitochondria. So we've got that as an issue. 
And then we've also got toxins. These can be endogenous or exogenous, so environmental toxins, etc. Both of these can basically be added to this cycle of increased reactive oxygen species generation and mitochondrial DNA damage, and then contribute to it or instigate the cycle, quite frankly. And ultimately, it's just going to keep damaging the mitochondria. So I don't want to go too deep for the sake of time and clarity into nuclear DNA mutations affecting the mitochondria, because you can liken it to the cycle we already went over. But when it comes to external toxins, or even things the body perceives as threats to homeostasis, we get mitochondrial dysfunction. And you might be wondering, what are some of these specific threats? So one that we may even not think about all the time is just severe psychological stress. Then we've got things like radiation, diagnostic radiation, biotoxins, that's huge for Lyme and mold patients. Things like microbial volatile organic compounds that can even be produced by candida. Infectious agents, you know, viral, bacterial, fungal, parasitic, toxicants, environmental pollutants such as PCVs in farmed salmon, chemicals in personal care products, perfume, cologne, lotions, antiperspirants, hair dye, makeup, such as those phthalates, solvents, toxic metals, pharmaceuticals, even nutrient deficiency, of course, coenzyme Q10, carnitine, B2, zinc, hormonal deficiency sleep deprivation, abnormal bioenergetics, so EMF or electromagnetic fields. All of these things can come off as a threat to not only the body but the mitochondria and can induce what is called the cell danger response. And I can definitely go into a deeper dive on the CDR in a future episode because it definitely uh, relates back to things like mold or Lyme, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So we can definitely take a deeper dive into that in a future episode. But I don't want this episode to be too long today. So I want to start getting into the restoration part of all this. So the goal with restoring function to the mitochondria is multifaceted but we could focus our efforts really on three primary things if we wanted to kind of break it down logically, I guess. And those would be, number one, restoring function to existing mitochondria, two, getting rid of the old and damaged mitochondria through mitophagy, and three, generating new healthy mitochondria through biogenesis. So if we're breaking this down and know that there is certainly some overlap amongst these molecules and compounds because The world is not in isolation. The body does not work in isolation. Let's go ahead and start diving in to the actual supplements or nutrients known to support the mitochondrial function. And then we'll move into things like biogenesis and mitophagy. So again, like I said, the body is not in isolation. So there's certainly some overlap among these compounds. But if we're breaking it down. So supplement-wise. Clinical trials have shown the utility of using oral replacement supplements such as L-carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, coenzyme Q10, NAD precursors, membrane phospholipids, and some others to be effective at supporting mitochondrial function 
in general. Now, moving on to mitophagy. When it comes to mitophagy or getting rid of those dysfunctional mitochondria that are just accumulating, quite frankly, more and more reactive oxygen species and more and more DNA damage and instigating that vicious cycle we talked about earlier, that famous compound called urolithin A comes to light. Now, this compound is getting a lot of press recently, but guys, I will mention that this little compound is not going to fix the mitochondria without a bunch of other things in place. We also need to support the mitochondria function through the nutrients I just mentioned, and we actually have to support biogenesis so that the body has an abundance of healthy mitochondria. Now, however, with that said, I have seen some studies showing that urolithin A stimulates biogenesis as well as mitophagy. Like I said earlier, these compounds do have some overlap because, again, the body does not work in isolation. But I would still say you don't want your sole focus to be on mitophagy. Okay, now with that laid out there, let's go over how to enhance mitophagy. So going back to urolithin A, as, as urolithin A is a great molecule, we're always looking to optimize things. And I will say that urolithin A alone was actually shown in a study to not be as effective at inducing mitophagy as when it was combined with EGCG. And as a note, this particular study looked at mitochondrial function in the context of Alzheimer's disease, and they noted that the continuous removal of dead or dying mitochondria is the key factor to reduce amyloid beta-induced toxicities in Alzheimer's disease. And it's also important to note that this study was, of course, it was done on mice, and also remember that EGCG and urolithin A are both molecules that can cross the blood-brain barrier, which is important in the context of this study in particular. So they used 2.5 milligrams per kilogram of body weight of urolithin A administered three times a week for four weeks, and they pitted that up against the combination of 2.5 milligrams per kilogram body weight of urolithin A combined with the 25 milligrams per kilogram body weight of EGCG. And that combo was also administered three times a week for four months. And like I mentioned a second ago, that combination was far more effective at stimulating mitophagy and therefore much more protective when it came down to mitigating the toxic effects of amyloid beta in Alzheimer's disease. Okay, so now let's move on from we went from some supplements and compounds, nutrients that help support mitochondrial function or enhance the function of the mitochondria to some cool compounds, particularly a stack of EGCG and urolithin A to help stimulate mitophagy. Now let's finish the supplementation puzzle and go through some of the ways to actually support biogenesis. And again, overlap. But when it comes to biogenesis, some compounds that are particularly highlighted include PQQ, resveratrol, EGCG again, which is a great one, anthocyanins, curcumin, licorice root extract, and rhodiola rosea had a pretty cool active component in it that also stimulated biogenesis pretty strongly. So with that said, I do want to throw a pretty intriguing peptide in the mix of things. Now again, 
This is not an oral supplement like everything else that we have discussed so far, but this is a peptide called SS31. Now, I've done podcast episodes earlier on mitochondrial peptides like MOTS-C, M-O-T-S-C, or a peptide called Humanin, which you can definitely go back and check out. Actually, the MOTS-C episode is a very popular episode, um, especially when addressing things like insulin resistance. But here and today, we are talking a lot about mitochondrial dysfunction And this SS31 peptide specifically works to restore function to the mitochondria. It can essentially bind to cardiolipin, which is a lipid expressed on the inner mitochondrial membrane that plays a very important role in organizing the components and complexes of the electron transport chain. So long story short, this would lead to more efficient oxidative phosphorylation with minimal generation of reactive oxygen species, aka bolstering that mitochondrial function. But like I just mentioned, some studies have also shown how it can stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. So again, certainly lots of overlap. Now with that said, I do really want to do a deeper dive into SS31 in particular, since it is a pretty amazing peptide when it comes to mitochondrial dysfunction, according to the research, but I will definitely dedicate a future episode to that so I can really break it apart. Okay, and of course, just remember to always only ever work with a doctor for any of your medical needs, as I'm just sharing the scientific research and some pretty intriguing biochemistry as it pertains to health, wellness, and biohacking. So with that said, thank you so very much for tuning in, and I cannot wait to see you in the next one. Bye, guys. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, The Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.